What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that Ameribraid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to Ameribraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? We're back again. It's me, your host, Ryan, from Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks, here, as always, with Noah from the Anyat River Forge. And this week, our guest is the backbone of Housemade Industrial, the proprietor of Baldman Knife and Tool. Yo, what's up, guys? Yo! Uh, thanks How's for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Anytime, man. We love having you on. I love these episodes too because there's no stress involved beforehand because we're buddies. So it's sure. it's not like, you know, when Jason Knight's on, I'm like, what am I gonna ask him? Don't say anything stupid. <laughs> you know? But with so these now you ones, can I absolutely can say things stupid. I mean that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no judgment here. Yeah. <laughs> and I won't be the only one smoking on the show. So that's a change. Yeah, Got a nice cigar. Absolutely. Right I was going to say, yeah, Bald Man's got a big fat stogie right there, man. I think it's like a 58 <laughs> ring gauge on there, isn't it? <laughs> it's a monster. Absolutely. It's bigger than my wee wee. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. See, it didn't, very, didn't it take is. very long for Ryan there, to say something stupid. <laughs> right All out right. the gate. So, Bald Man, uh, we, I think the last time we had you on was before Blade last year, where, and that was before we had met in person. So now we actually have. So yeah. since since Blade, you guys have been rolling out just a crap ton of stuff at Housemade recently. Uh, for those listeners who don't know, uh, Bald Man Brent uh, works with Brian House at Housemade Industrial. And so they make the Revolution Grinder. They do the Apollo Forge. Uh, Brent actually helped me out when I was setting up my Apollo Forge. He was DMing me uh, just you know that extra level of customer service that you get when you buy from a, a small maker like uh like all of our, you know, the guys in the industry around here, um, you know, housemade, um, fantastic, fantastic forge, by the way, that I have, and I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. so aside from working at like housemade and the stuff you've been doing there, what's been going on in like your, your home shop, the, the bald man knife and tool side for like the last six months or so, has there been anything new and what's been going on with it? Man, there's been a lot going on this last year, you know, um, most of it revolves around scaling up, um, Scaling up production, uh, being able to do more, uh, that's that's the goal, right? To be able to, um, if you're making 10 knives, be able to make 20, you know, scale up all that stuff. So um, that's been going on at Baldman um, Knife and Tool here, just scaling up production, 
trying to work out a few new models, um, getting in with some dealers. So trying to keep up with dealer orders as well. Uh, River's Edge Cutlery is uh, where you can find knives. If I don't have them in stock, then they've got they've got a different different uh, models or different colorways, if you want to call it, in stock. So. Uh, yeah, you can hit them up over at their River's Edge Cutlery if I don't have something you're looking for immediately. Um, but yeah, keeping those guys in stock, keeping customer orders in stock and website. And then, yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, shared with you guys uh, a month or two ago, uh, been working with Boker. Um, they're going to be making a production run of the Tanto Thicker Clipper. So that's been exciting working on that since uh, Blade Show um 23 there so yeah that is awesome yeah and we yeah. You, you and i sat down in the pit for a, a little little chat and you told me about that at the time and i was super excited for you man that's such a cool thing and it's one of those things that you know a lot of guys you know have their own set opinions on things like blade show and whether or not it's worth it and things like that but you're not going to get something like that if you're not at a show like blade like you never would have yeah happened upon that sort of collab um without being able to have people come by your booth and and f- see your product and feel it um and that was a big thing for me as well um because i'd seen your knives all over the place and man i i, I just want to take a second to compliment you on the fit and finish of your knife because this is i mean this is another thing that we talked about when we were in the pit is being intentional about um not just the way that your knives are so like I'll use the example of like a, like a forged finish. A lot of guys like to do brute to forge. And the important thing about doing something like brute to forge is to be intentional about what you're leaving rough and what you're polishing out and keeping smooth. You know, if I do a brute to forge knife, yeah, it's going to be brute to forge all the way to, to where the handle skills fit. But that choil right there is going to be polished to a mirror. And I'm going to hand sand where the transition from the, the forge finish is down to the edge or something like that. And you are famous for your rougher grit bevels, but I have never seen cleaner, more perfect bevels. And this is something that you can only see when you're picking up a knife. You know, you can't see it in pictures and stuff like that, but like the flawlessness with which your bevels are ground. And the the other thing was the, the handle fit up because I'm a big fan of like bolt on scales because I feel like epoxy is overrated and I mean, I use it constantly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn here, but like the way that your handle scales are bolted on and just the flawless fit up on every single one was so phenomenal. I almost laughed. I think I probably giggled to myself a little bit while I had one of your knives in my hand. Like my knives are crap. Like, look, at look at how flawless <laughs> this fit up is, man. And obviously, I mean, that's why you've got people like Boker looking up, you know, looking at your stuff and wanting to collaborate with you. But like, um, just that intentionality well, of the transition between where you've got this flawless fit up here, then you've got this, you know, rougher grit finish than what a lot of guys like to do on bevels and that sort of stuff. Um, it was well, really, really cool that, to man. see. I, um, you know, when I look at my, my knives, I, I don't do, you know, both of you guys do really high fit and finish on your knives. And so, uh, oh, you know, thanks buddy. <laughs> you do. I mean, I don't think that, so. <laughs> that's the truth. You guys do some killer fit and finish. And I look at my stuff and I'm like, man, I, it's nowhere near what you guys are doing. Um, and so, you know, that's humbling to hear you say that, that you appreciate that. Um, I do. I do try to do a good fit and finish. Um, 
I also, you know, my, um, my wheelhouse is EDC stuff, not, uh, not culinary, not, you know, the art knives and, um, collector pieces where I like to be in is something that you can, you can purchase and you can carry and you can use, and you're not going to feel bad about it. And, you know, I I would say that your fit and finish is assigned perfectly where it should be for what you make. Cause it, you put it where it matters and you don't worry about it where it doesn't matter. If, if your, your knives are made to beat up, yeah. they're a quarter inch thick. They're yeah. made to like be the knife that you pry on shit with or, you know, cut open an Amazon box. that has got copper staples on it, whatever right. it, it, you know, so having leaving that satin scratch pattern on the bevels is totally fine. Right. You know, yeah, it, you you're know not, <clears throat> like you said, working at house made, we're dealing with steel all day long, every day, uh, getting shipments in and getting crates and pallets of, of steel. I mean, so when we go to op- open up packages, <clears throat> I need something I can dig into. Uh, you know, I make the mini albatross and those are like three thirty seconds stock and I do a full flat grind. They're, you know, about eight to 10 thousandths behind the edge. Like they're thin, um, man. When I use those, and I, I do a saber ground version, it's a little beefier um, of that knife. But when I carry one of those to work, I mean, I I have to be really careful because I know I'm gonna chip a tip or I'm gonna I'm gonna chip edges. Uh, the thicker clipper, though, man, I freaking Brian and I both carry those, and we wail through stuff. <clears throat> and we we've had one tip break, and that was on an older S35 blade that I made for Brian. And the reality is it was, he was prying some pieces of steel apart with it. And so, <laughs> um, wasn't too uh, heartbroken over it. We had a good laugh over it. Uh, so yeah, I like making stuff that you can use and abuse. Right. Exactly. And you, you don't waste time putting fit and finish where it isn't necessary on your knives. Um, it would be a total waste of time and profit for you to hand sand your bevels. Yeah, plus it's just boring. I don't like it. <laughs> That's what I, I well, talk to. It's part of you know, the look. Obviously, you know, you guys and and uh, I talk with you guys and a lot of other uh, some. I have some a few good friends that that are uh, knife makers and and uh, everybody that I talk to, they're like, yeah, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna hand say, you know, Jared Sandoval, Echo Blades. I talk with him multiple times a week we'll FaceTime and talk while we're in the shop and he's sitting down hand sanding and he'll be like, ah, got to sit down hand sand. And my response is always time to change your business model, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did. I hated it. So yeah, yeah. it works for some, but not for others. And if you're doing production runs like you and I are like uh, this batch that I'm, I'm finishing up here within the next few days, there's no hand sanding except for on the handles to smooth all the facets out. Yeah, the the blades are satin finished. There's no way you can effectively hand sand fifty right. knives. And you know? you know, like I, I did, so I did a thicker clipper uh, with some Baker forging tools, some uh, Ripple Copper My. Well, I yeah. forget what what exactly pattern it was, but yeah, I sat down and hand sanded that thing because you've got to do that for those. Like, there's no substitution. You can't belt finish that you need to go in and hand sand all that to get it nice and smooth so you can get a good etch. So, yep. 
That's mm-hmm. why I rarely do those. You see them pop out of the shop every once in a while. But yep. You had so, mentioned uh, scaling up. What was um what was some of the things that you found were crucial to you when when scaling up? So uh, definitely there were there's steps and I'm still going through those steps. Um, so the thicker clippers, when you guys saw those uh, blade show last year, I was hand grinding all those and and I had a system down. I still do every once in a while. Uh, but using the true tilt that Brian and I came up with, that was a game changer for me. I could sit down and uh, the first time I ground using that for I for the thicker clippers, I could grind on the drop points. You know, that's two bevels or, you know, per side. I'm doing a swedge and I'm doing the main bevel on the drop points. Um, I grabbed a batch of five of them. Uh, and I ground those out fully ground, uh, again, to 120 grit with a service conditioning belt finish. So I do leave a little bit rougher finish, but 45 minutes and I was done with all five of them. So that little things like that, that just cranked up production. So I could grab 10 or 15 of them and I can grind out all the bevels on them. Uh, since then I, we have moved, you know, we, we have a Haas uh, Super Mini Mill at uh, Housemade, and we're working into um, prototyping my knives being machine ground uh, with the intent that we want to be able to offer this to knife makers uh, service to be able to machine your knives. You know, you can have a water jet blank and then we can machine bevels. And we're still working on that. I should say Brian's working on that. He's He's the CNC master. I just sit there and kind of nod my head and go, yeah, it looks good. <laughs> Thumbs up. Um, and so we've moved. I, I've moved to all the thicker clippers now have machine bevels in them, which adds another level of precision, um, you know, consistency behind the edge, all that stuff. Um, tantos and drop points on those. And, you know, working on that machine pattern. So that has scaled up production as well. You know, we can, we've made pallets in the CNC machine, so we can put 18 or 16 knives at a time and machine those. And now that takes a better part of, you know, it's, it takes a long time, but it's not hands-on time. So we're able to set the machine. We actually just started running uh, this last batch I did at nighttime so we could set it and then go home and come back in the next day. And one side of those blades was done, uh, which was really cool to be able to do for the first time. Cause we were always running smaller batches, like batches of four at a time, just to make sure and monitor what was going on. So being able to throw 16 in, run them and let them go all night was really cool. Uh, and come back the next day and flip them on the pallets and machine the next side the next night was great. Um, So yeah, that's one thing to uh, boost production. I'm working on getting handles for those CNC'd out. You know, these are, these are kind of staples, right? They're the bread and butter of what ball man knife and tool is. So I can, I can try to make a hundred of them, but that takes away time for me to prototype other knives, come up with some new designs, um, along with, you know, other work that needs done. So if I can take these bread and butters that I've worked out a lot of the details on, I've got the final design 
finished and ready and it's perfected <clears throat> and I can automate some of this, that's where I'm moving now is automation, right? First step was machine the blades. Next step is I'm working on getting the handles machined, which they'll be rough finished and I'll just have to go in and clean those up a little bit. Uh, so every one of these steps um, is just taking hands-on time away um, for me so I can devote my time to new models um, and and that kind of stuff. That's a that's a massive advantage you have too, to have access to that CNC machine. Definitely. Um, backing up a little bit to how you originally started with the True Tilt, that's how mm -hmm. I'm doing mine. Yeah. Is by hand on a True Tilt. And every every grinder company out there has their version of this. So House right. has got the True Tilt. I don't know what Broadbacks is. Ameribraid's got one. TR Maker's got one, I'm pretty sure. Right. Every, everybody's got one. And it's that super tilting work rest that you can put at an angle up to the platen. Um, yeah, you can lay the platen back, lay the lay the work rest back, and set your angle there um, and yep. grind away. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I'm doing because you, that's the quickest way I've found to get consistency in bevels by hand. Right. And I know there's listeners out there, that's not by hand. That's cheating. You're going off a of work rest. Go fuck yourselves. I don't care. <laughs> That's, that's, you know, I mean. <laughs> well, and I think it's there's a distinct difference between doing batch work. Like you guys are talking about, Ryan, you just did a, a, a batch of 72 knives. 70. I'm coming up on the end right now. I've got 12 more handles to shape. And then I'm on to hand sanding the handles, buffing, sharpening. I get paid. They go out the door. Exactly. And here's the thing. All of you guys that are out there doing things like me, which is, you know, custom order, you know, fancy knives or even not fancy utilitarian knives you know but you're still doing one-offs that's not what that's not what these guys are about these guys are about making that bag and the reason that they have to do that is to feed their families and the reason that they have to do these other things is to, to streamline that process and get that money flowing because like brian house always says well, we're talking a bald man so we're just gonna talk talk about brian for like this whole show probably let's do it. <laughs> i got cash, some stories let's do it cash flow <laughs> is king when you're running a business, you have to have cash flow. And it doesn't matter if your overhead is as high as you want it to be. The cash still has to flow. So if you have it flowing less in one way, but at a higher margin, it doesn't matter if you have this other process where you're getting the, the cash flowing at a lower margin, but a higher volume. So that's what's going on here. We're talking about streamlining these processes to get the cash flow going. And it just, you know, just because one person has, you know, one method of doing running their business doesn't mean that it's the only way. So uh, right. And or is that I would golf, say golf if, foxtrot Yankee that Ryan just said there, you know, Oh, if you're a purist and we all know these guys, they're out there. We love you. You guys, you're humans too. But the purists who are like, you can only freehand grind and you have to have forged knives or you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. You can also go fuck yourselves. <laughs> I hate being told what to do. Double down, that's, buddy. Double down. That's, but that's that's the bread and butter of why we do this. We don't like being right. told what to do. We would rather yeah. risk it all and fail. And when it comes to production work, you have to remove time anywhere you can. So, like, this batch was stainless. My first thought was, I only have one set of plates. That's not going to work. I don't have a big enough compressor to get an air-cooled plate like house cells. So what I did was I bought a second one, second set of plates, 
and I changed how they're mounted on my bench so that I can quickly take the whole vice off plates and all and submerge it in a bucket of water. Yeah. So you do six blades in a row, your plates are getting too hot to effectively quench. So you have to figure out a way to keep your plates cool. So that's what I did. Little, little right. Walmart, Wal- Walmart brand cooled plates, but it, <laughs> it worked for this batch until, you know, I get, I mean, a here's the deal. We're and- all looking for ways to, to do a few things. Number one, we want to improve our process and improve our final outcome. <clears throat> Number two, we want to be more efficient. Everybody does. Whether you're, yeah. whether you're the forge to finish shape guy or whether you're the stock removal guy, you want to improve your process so you can be more efficient. So for stock removal guys, things like the true tilt, the tilting tables, <clears throat> that is a game changer. It also allows you when you improve your process to either keep your price point at a lower price. A lot of us were hobbyists when we get into it. I think mean, every one of us was a hobby on the side knife maker when we got into it, <clears throat> tinkering around in our shed or a garage, whatever it would, whatever it may be. And it's really hard at first, but as you get a little better, you're more efficient. And as a hobbyist, you don't typically price your stuff where you should be for the market. But if you're able to automate some of that, if you're able to to do some things to cut down on your time, you're able to keep your price points down, which is a great thing because we all know expensive knives are hard to sell. There's a reason they're expensive. They're beautiful. They take time, patience, all that stuff. They're they're phenomenal when you get a custom handmade knife that's fit and finished. Noah, the freaking knife that you just posted that you finished up is gorgeous. That thing is beautifully finished. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason that knife is not going to be a cheap knife or it's not a cheap knife because of all that time, all that patience you took. But for production guys, it's all about keeping those numbers, the, the hours as low as possible. And that's so an you, awesome point. So you can point. get those knives to your customers. Yeah. And that's an awesome point that <clears throat> what we're, what you and I are doing, Brent, is not for everybody. No. Some of these guys are artists or, you know, they're so ingrained in their own process that cutting out some steps or shortening steps or making the steps faster, however you want to do it. It's not cutting corners. It's, uh, you're becoming more efficient. Um, they're just physically incapable of doing that. And you have to do that to do production work because these companies that are buying these batches, they're not going to pay handmade prices. They have to turn a profit, right? You have to leave enough bread for them to be able to sell the knife for a profit. That's where, that's where quantity comes in. Right. Yeah. Fully agree. All right. Well, I think all those people have probably turned the podcast off now. So let's go ahead and uh, play uh, an ad for one of our sponsors. (laughs) Why would they turn it off? That was pretty good, I thought. Stock removal Sundays. I did tell them (laughs) to fuck themselves a couple of times, but a couple of times. They they probably left by the second one, probably. That's just my way of being like, get over it. Like, before I play this ad, I'll I'll, I'll touch on that point. We have a buddy, and I'm not going to name him, but he's listening and he knows who he is. He asks us all the time about, should I do it this way? And I'm afraid to do it this way because somebody else does it. And I, 
tell them the same thing every time. Don't ask people's permission to do shit. Just do what you want. Make what you want. There's a hundred top tier knife makers out there who copy, or I, I don't want to use the word copy. They model their work after Jason Knight. We see them every day. Guilty. Guilty. Super, exactly. Super successful knife makers out there. But when you look at their work, you can tell it's inspired by Jason or Neil Kamimura or, you know, like these guys who one of the 12 that I talk about, like the 12 guys in the world that can sell based on their name alone and to get over it. The knives have been around as long as people have. Does You're not going to make anything original. There is no copying. The only time you're copying is if you're making the exact same thing and putting their fucking logo on it. That's copying. But if we you're spicy Ryan today, I'm like really it. tired, dude. I've been going hard. Patchwork, <laughs> uh, yeah. it'll get you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm coming to the tail end of it, and I'm like, is this it? Is it finally fucking over? Can I go to bed at a decent hour tonight or tomorrow? Like, listen, anybody that knocks on Batchwork should just try to do a batch of like, even if you start off, try to do a batch of twenty of the same knife. And you will want to pull what's, you know, I don't have any hair to pull out, but you will, <laughs> you, it will drive you nuts. Um, I could do 20 in my sleep now at this point. Right. It, uh, it, you know, there's, there's monotony in batch work that oh, oh, yeah. sure. you gotta, and, it's just like monotony and sitting down and hand sanding that I can't tolerate. There's monotony in batch work that for whatever reason I can tolerate um, that a lot of guys can't. And I fully understand it. We, we talked about it on the last show. I spent like nine hours sticking and picking stencils <laughs> and, and etching knives. It's like, yeah, you think you think you got some mental fortitude, bud. Sit down and pick stencils for nine fucking hours. Tiny little loops Ugh. and shit. The word on the blades is Falcone, and it's in like this <laughs> Elizabethan script. So it's like a lot of curves and little loops that you got to get the centerpiece out and stick it on. And the centerpiece is like the size of a poppy seed. Yeah, it's yeah. That's crazy. Anyways, I forgot where I was going with that. You were going to play an ad. Oh. <laughs> Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Goosesses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? <laughs> We're going to name Luke. this episode Stock Removal Talk. <laughs> Let's, I deserve not? this, Stalker. though. I deserve this episode because I get bullied a lot for not forging on here, I just want to say. We had Brigham. OLC on just last week, and he's a stock removal guy too. We've been doing, we're, we're we got you, man. It's all good. <laughs> I, I just to touch on this one more time. I would say also know your limits, though. Don't take a batch that's outside of the realm of possibility for you to complete, because the time frames on these are tight too. Like I had, this is a self-inflicted time frame because I have a day job, but this batch of seventy, I was shooting to do it in three weeks. Oof. I'm a week. I'm a week behind. Three weeks was a lofty fucking goal. Yeah. It, but you know, so and there's been a lot of stress involved with that, and it's all self-imposed timeframes. But they're not always going to be self-imposed. Like the other restaurant, the little cleavers I do, 
when they put in an order, I have four weeks. Wow. And they, they want them as fast as possible, but four weeks is my deadline. So it's, you know, if you can't make 50 knives in a month, do not take no. the order. Because no, if, I you, can't. <laughs> if you fail on one of these orders, it's, it, it could be catastrophic for your entire business. You know what right. I mean? So just, and that's why be, I don't do it. Be realistic about it. I'm very realistic. I don't do it. That's why I, I can't do what you do. You kidding me? Screw that. <laughs> that's I don't cool know that knives. I could do it. No, I don't, I don't know that, that I could do what he's doing either. No, that's a that's 70 uh, and, uh, is it, and three weeks is a lot. Is that really that fucking outrageous? I've been like, crying to noah and the guys in the group chat about i'm behind i'm such a fucking piece of shit <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i mean i'm sitting here i today i've been sharpening knives so one of the we talk about you know back to stock removal batch work talk <laughs> we're never gonna get off this noah really sorry about it's fine. this it's fine <laughs> um one of the things i hate doing or i should say my least favorite thing when i'm doing batch work is sharpening the knives. I use a wicked edge. I do all hand, you know, guided system. Um, mainly because given what I'm doing, I can't use belts on the tantos and things like that. They just, the lines never are as crisp, uh, where they, mm. where yeah. Okay. I can see up. that. Yeah. Uh, and they're all smaller knives. So I use the wicked edge and mm. you know, it's like sharpening is the most essential thing. One of the most essential things for a knife. However, the knife looks complete. And so when I have to go sharpen it, I'm like, when I get to the sharpening stage, I'm like, before it's sharpened, I'm like, sweet, I'm done. And then I have like today I had 15 or 18 knives piled up to sharpen. And I'm like, all I want to do is grab one of these knives that's hanging on the hook behind my computer here and start putting hand or six of these knives, 10 of these knives and start doing handle work. And start getting them ready so I can take them and heat treat them. But I know if I don't, I'm going to pile on more to that list that need sharpened. So, yeah. yeah. There's always something a, in the process. Your, your, brain already, your brain already gets the dopamine hit. You're like, oh, it's right. done. I'm, That's you know, exactly your brain, what Your is. brain's like set. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do anymore. That um, last little bit of suck. I have a 25% rule. So with this batch of 70, I'd break it up into four 18 knife stacks. Okay. And then I do, I do a stack. I take a break, smoke a bot, smoke a blunt, eat some snacks, whatever, fill the wood stove. Then I go do 18 more, 18 more, 18 more. Cause for <laughs> me, it's not feasible for me to stand there and do 70 at a right. time. It's like, you have even to break it, it up somehow. You have to make you it work to. for yourself. I, when I first started doing batch work, I listened to, uh, LT Wright talk about doing batch work and in his shop, I think he said they do, they do five or six knives at a time when they're making knives because you need those little wins. You need a win. So he's like, if you do six knives for their shop, I think it was six knives if I remember right. But you take six knives and you do those start to finish and you, you have a victory. And then you can move to the next six, start to finish, and you have a victory. If you if you bring them out, like, again, you're talking 70 knives. Well, if you try to grind 70 bevels, heat treat 70, do 70 handles all at one time, you, you're waiting 
three, four, five, six weeks before you get a victory and you're feeling defeat that whole time, which hits your motivation. Like you're, you're not motivated to finish when you don't get yeah. victories. I'm, I mix it up depending on the step. So like the heat treat, yeah. I, I tried to do them all. Yeah. And my, my oven broke 30 knives in. So I lost that night and I had to fix my oven and continue the next day. Yeah. But you know, um, but, but that's, that's also like a cost effective thing. The most expensive part of running your oven is the heat up process. Right. And then once it's up to temp, the oven's just maintaining. Um, yeah. The, so it's important to find a process that works for you. Yeah. And for me, where I live, power is expensive. My bill, my light bill was $812 for this batch. Ouch. Yeah. That's tough. I didn't show it to the wife. It's sitting right here in the shop. <laughs> she never comes out here. I was like, I'll just take care of that. You don't need when to see it. When she does that. see it, you're going to be like, sorry, babe, you got to spend money to make money. Yeah, that's right. Pretty much. So I just wanted to touch on a couple quick things here. So you mentioned um, you, you speak to uh, Jared a little bit. I've actually spoken to Jared a little bit recently because I don't know if you listeners are aware, but there is a new podcast out in the world. You got you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And obviously, yeah, since it's Dennis Tyrell and Jared, it's already better than most of us. <laughs> it's like... So for the listeners, uh, there, there's another great podcast that you guys should check out called the Triple T, Triple T Knife Makers podcast or something like that. Oh, Jesus. We're going to fuck this up. I think it's just the Triple T podcast. Okay. Dennis made it really complicated with like the name or something like that. He, he's not he's not doing an Instagram page for it, but he's got an email for it that is just massively unnecessarily complicated with like, <laughs> it's like. It's Triple like, T uh, for Knife Makers. Yeah, Triple T for Knife Makers. Okay. Um, anyways, it's a great show. It's Dennis Tyrell and Jared Sandoval from Echo Blades. And it is a very easily digestible show. It is the two of them talking, talking about making knives, BSing a little bit about football and how much Dennis doesn't care about football or baseball. And... Uh, and they touch on the triple T topics that Dennis has for his YouTube channel. Um, Dennis has one of the greatest YouTube channels out there. And he has these segments that he drops called triple T, which is tools, tips, and talk for the knife maker. They're great little episodes, usually around 10 minutes long. They're perfect for me to watch while I'm on the bike at the gym. And so I love those. And then this podcast is kind of based off of that. And they talk a little bit about the topics that are on uh, his YouTube channel. Um, Jared and Dennis are, they're good buddies. So the chemistry is great. It's super easy to listen to. I was just going to say that great podcast. So I think everybody yeah. should go check them out as well. Anybody yeah. who's doing a podcast and it's with a buddy, you know, face to face in real life every day, the amount of comfort gives you an advantage over everybody else. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm not advocating people go listen to my other podcast, the Brodown Showdown, because it but is you are. very fucking offensive. So if you're easily offended, do not go listen to that podcast. You'll think of less of me. But <laughs> me and my brother have a, we've known each other forever. So we, you know, this complete comfortability and trust in the room when we're recording. It just we're just it's, dumb. Comfortability a word. It is now. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Became a word. All right. So, Bald Man, uh, you did something at Blade last year that I haven't seen before. 
And that was, well, you, you unveiled it a little bit before Blade, but then I got to see it in person. When you heat treat a stainless knife, mm-hmm. and everybody who's ever done stainless knows this, you get these pretty little rainbow colors when you pull it out of the foil package. And then you surface grind it, and you put bevels in, and it's gone forever. You managed to leave that on your knives so that it was almost like a patina, but it was just the heat treating colors. Yeah. Where did you get that idea? And do you grind bevels and then plate quench? Yeah. So good question. Um, uh, There's some other knife makers. uh, I've seen it before, like production knives. The most notable that I can think of is like a Medford knife and tool. They do. uh, I think they call it like a Vulcan finish and it's got that similar finish. Um, I'm not sure if they use the same process. I believe they do, uh, but I could be totally wrong where they'll leave the heat treat on and everyone's different. Sometimes they don't turn out looking great on whenever I heat treat knives, but sometimes they do when they do. Yeah. I want to keep them. So, uh, back to the whole batch work thing. I do my batches. So I'll do all my handle fit up before heat treat. I have little, little uh, plastic containers, like the little three, three bin containers that for like tackle box or lures or whatever that I can, I can do all my batches in. So I can, I can fit the handle to that blade, have it all finished and then go and heat treat after I've ground done all my work, go and heat treat. And then if the pattern turns out looking good, I can bolt that handle up, do some minimal handle, clean up and make a sheath and it's done. Uh, Make a sheath, do my etch, my maker's mark, and that knife is done. Um, When they don't turn out well, no loss, I can go and clean it up and have a stonewashed finish on it or an etched finish. Um, So yeah, the the deal with those heat treat is it is just like doing a stonewash and the fact that it will wear over time. But uh, it is pretty durable. I mean, I've taken, I've taken those just in messing around with finishes. And normally, if it doesn't turn out well, I will sandblast the blade before I tumble it to get all that out. And I've taken those blades, not sandblasted them, and thrown them in the tumbler, which we have an industrial-sized tumbler at Housemade that I use uh, with ceramic media. And I can throw that blade in there for 10 minutes, and you can see some tumble marks but that heat treat finish is still pretty solid there. Wow. Um, so, wow. so the, even though it is a wearable finish, just like if you did a Cerakote or anything, they're all going to wear to different extents uh, or, or an etched finish. Um, it does last. It's uh, it, it has some durability to it. Um, and yeah, I'm able to do that primarily on the thicker clippers um, I've tried it on the mini albatross whenever I, you obviously need to be able to plate quench. So if I do a full flat grind on something, um, there's a possibility I could, but there's a high chance it's going to warp, especially I use magna cut magna cut really likes to warp cause I'm running at really high temperatures to get a high hardness on them. Um, so I've tried it on some of the saber ground mini albatross and just the Really, I think what gets those colors uh, so looking so good on the thicker clippers is the dramatic change between bevel height and blade thickness. Um, mm. 
Okay. Lets those colors pull out. It doesn't seem to pull out near as much on, like I said, the mini albatross. Those are three thirty seconds stock. When I do a saber grind on them, I've tried them and haven't had that that promising of results. Not to say I love I to see all the experimentation with blade finishes lately. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're leaving the stainless like swirl color pattern on. Uh, Mike Lavalley, Brian Henningkamp, Pirate Forge, a bunch of these guys are experimenting with like copper brass and like putting powder on the blades and yeah. like getting that color into the blade and Pirate oh, Forge buried, buried the blades. One. Yeah, he buried one in his yard. Yeah, I mean, I ran some tests on a batch of, I had a dozen thicker clippers and I tried in my foil packets doing different things like adding paper adding i tried all different oils just to see like mineral oil wd-40 tap magic motor oil like i tried all these different oils that i coated the blade in or kind of dripped in there just to see if anything would change and uh yeah just a cleaned up bare finish seems to give the best result for me that's awesome i love that yeah um do you guys want to play a game which one? All about it. It's called Where in the World is Florida Man? Right here. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to play Where in the World is Florida Man? Where is Justin Miller? <laughs> is he the That's real right, Florida Man? Gentlemen. He's the uh, will, only Florida man. Will a real Florida man please stand up? Uh, <laughs> so this is a game we like to play. Uh, it is based on the old classic headline. Florida man does whatever Florida man does. That's right. The best, the best headlines come out of Florida. The craziest, <laughs> the most ridiculous, the most unbelievable. And so we play this game where we get to guess where in the world Florida man is. I have three stories in front of me. Unfortunately, for the past, present, and future of humanity, they are all real. Uh, your job is just to guess where they happen. That's all. We begin. Dog poop bomber gets probation for crappy explosion. This guy doesn't let his friends dump on him. A man was sentenced to only three months probation Tuesday after using a powerful, quote, poop bomb on a friend that he says did him wrong. Rob Alexander Stout, 49, told a county circuit judge that he improvised the explosive device by stuffing a toolbox with dog droppings and an airbag salvaged from a wrecking yard. A <laughs> man local media dubbed as the dog poop bomber rigged it in the back of his estranged pal's Camaro uh, in April so that when it was open, it would just blow dog crap all over him, end quote. Uh, Stout holds 14 prior convictions, including dealing or manufacturing meth and eluding police, according to county records. He, he told authorities that he learned how to MacGyver bombs, quote, for fun by watching YouTube videos and claimed that he didn't realize that his excrement filled explosive constituted a crime. He obviously didn't realize how fucking powerful airbags are. <laughs> or, or he did. It sounded like he was pretty pissed off at this guy. <laughs> that sounds pretty Florida. Um, I'm going with not Florida. Okay, the the listeners need to understand if they're not aware that Bald Man is in fact a Florida man. As far as I know, he hasn't made any headlines yet, but he has a little bit of a home field advantage here. Like he knows exactly the kind of Florida men that are in Florida. So oh, yeah. why are you saying not Florida on this one? 
Um, doesn't man, it just doesn't seem. Even though it's crazy, it doesn't seem Florida crazy. Wow, you think it seems a little bit more west, south, southwest, like to the yeah, west of you? I, I think it seems like northern crazy. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. I'm slightly offended by that, but okay. All right. <laughs> We've put dog shit in spud cannons before. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, maybe he's right. Uh, Ryan, are you sticking with your answer then? After you're a bald to. man? I kind of got to. Stick. Okay. Bald man's going not Florida. Ryan's going Florida. Bald man nailed it. That was Portland, Oregon, man. Oh. Uh, how's that feel? Well, well, I am from Washington, but at least I'm not from Portland, Oregon. Okay, at least I'm not there. Uh, That one was sent in by Brian Hunt from Hidden Rose Forge. Thank you, sir. Next up, we have man arrested for series of squirrel painting incidents. Police and the Putnam County. uh, I didn't mean to read out the county, but there's Putnam County in a few different states. I just want to say that right out front. Uh, Caught the rodent artist red handed last month. He might have gone a little nuts. A homeowner was so ticked that squirrels were getting into his yard that he spray-painted them toxic red paint, authorities say. Mark Kuhn, 62, was hit with three counts of poisoning an animal, a misdemeanor, for trapping furry critters and dousing them in paint before cutting them loose. He said he didn't want the squirrels in his backyard. Chief Ken Ross told the Post, uh, it makes his dogs bark, and he felt by spray-painting them, they wouldn't come back. He'd also be able to know if it was the same squirrels that kept coming back and invading his yard. That's pretty smart. So crazy, it's smart. If he I'm, was, he could have said he's doing his own biological like tracking experiment. Like they tag like deer and shit to see where they are. He's like, yeah, I didn't have a tag. I just spray painted it. And here's the thing: he was using live animal traps, you know, like humane ones, and then he was just spray painting them and then letting them go. And apparently, that's animal abuse. Okay. Commies. Because the paint is, you know, toxic and it's like soaking in through their fur and, you know, all that. But I have to say, like, I don't condone animal abuse at all. What, what do you think, Brent? Spray, spray um, painted red, red red squirrels. Pretty funny. I mean, that's Like, there were some pictures that went along with this article. Pretty funny. Just saying. Can you imagine living in his neighborhood? Just seeing red squirrels <laughs> running around. Red squirrels going all over the place. <laughs> all of a sudden, there's more and more and more of them. You're like, oh what my the goodness. fuck? What if I'm, you like I'm rainbow going, painted them? I'm going, this is a Florida man. Okay. All right. See, Brent thinks it's Florida. I was leaning not Florida because I assumed that there was a lot of predators of squirrels in Florida. I, I got a got, reason for thinking this is Florida man. All right, I'm so, gonna I'm gonna follow your lead then. So we'll I think Florida. this is Florida man because you said he's 62. This is an old Florida is like home, like retirement state here, and these old dudes have nothing better to do, and they get really uptight about their property and their things, and they've got nothing better to do than sit there and watch. I gotta say, this is a this it feels like a Florida man. We'll find out if I'm right. Both of you, Florida. Final answer. Mm-hmm. Yep. New York. Oh, oh, what a bummer! I got you, man. See, I put I leave these details in here because I know, I know the mind. I know, I know what goes into the, the thought process here. What I leave bummer. hints. Would the local government red- there care if you 
painted a squirrel? Um, I mean, you yeah. guys are pretty free. You can. Yeah, you, yeah. I I would say yeah. Neighbors would turn you in for sure. Depending that's, on see, that's because see the the Florida man, sixty two year old nader. Yeah, the Florida yeah. man that's living out in the country, like cent, Central Florida, is kind of like country. And uh, the Florida man that's living there, he's not going to spray paint him. He's going to shoot him. Mm, true the Florida that. man that lives in a city, he's going to have to figure out something. And because, again, there's so many people that move here, you'd get, you'd get dimed out really quick. And I'm pretty sure that's actually what happened. His neighbors were complaining about the red, the red squirrels. Because <laughs> they saw red squirrels running. Uh, I have uh, a one natural went... squirrel deterrent, a half beagle. She <laughs> is the sweetest dog unless you're a squirrel. Right. She will fucking mangle a squirrel. Uh, it's just in her blood, I guess. I have so. a hundred pound black lab. There are no squirrels inside of my yard. They don't <laughs> exist around here. We uh, feed that one them. was sent we in f- by uh, what? We feed, feed the squirrels. squirrels. Yeah, we feed them, and it's like like a so little, you can feed like, your dog. No, she never catches them. <laughs> oh God. Okay. She's not fast enough because we have those little red chipmunks and shit. And so, like, we throw peanuts out in the yard, and the when the dogs aren't out, the squirrels will come and eat the peanuts. And then there'll always be a couple out there just chilling when we let the dogs out. And the dogs will be, boo! <laughs> Superman off the porch after the squirrels. They never catch them, though. They always get through the fence. She only caught one, and it was my fault. It's a good okay. way to get your right. dogs some exercise and not have to run behind them. I was going to say... Yeah. Dog entertainment is more, more what it is. Uh, so, so the red squirrel one was sent in by Brigham Kendall. Thank you very much, sir. We got one more story to get through here. Uh, and it's a doozy. Woman claims wind blew cocaine into her purse. Authorities say a woman is blaming a windy day for the cocaine that police found in her purse. Can... Kenesha Posey was one of two passengers in a car stopped by police in late March. Police say an officer smelled marijuana and that after searching the car, cocaine and marijuana were in separate bags found inside a purse that Posey had on her lap. Authorities say they questioned Posey about the drugs. And according to the police report, Posey responded, quote, it's a windy day. It must have flown through the window and into my purse. She was charged with a felony count of cocaine possession and a misdemeanor count of marijuana possession. She was later released on bond. Wait, it was in a baggie, and she said that it flew in the window and landed in her purse? Yes, and it just happened to land right next to the bag of marijuana. I mean, if it was just loose, like, powder, that's no, no. not You'd believe really it. feasible. You would yeah. believe Dude, it then? I, I wouldn't believe it, but it's more feasible than if it's in but a here's fucking the thing. bag. Not, not only did the wind do that, it blew it into the car window and then into her bag. So, I mean, this is some strong wind. Strong wind. Yeah, could have been a hurricane. It's true. You guys do have hurricanes down there. Yeah. And we have an abundance of cocaine, too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm going Florida. It, yeah, Florida's pretty known for its cocaine. <laughs> you guys like the uppers down there. We got, we got the square grouper all over. Yeah, you're all about the stim stimulants. All right. You guys are both going Florida on this one? Yeah, I'm yeah. locked in. You don't think that I would do uh, three non-Florida stories just to mess with you? Uh, no. Maybe it didn't even cross my mind. Starting to think it it now. (laughs) No, I wouldn't do that to you. That was Florida. Come on. That's only a Florida thing. That's a Florida thing. Kenesha Posey and wind blowing cocaine through the car door window. 
into her purse, that's Florida. See, Thank you, not David only was Burke she, from OLC Knives, for sending that one in. Uh, not only was she lazy about her story, she could have eaten it. If they were small enough baggies that they would fit in a, a purse, I'm assuming she has a small purse, she could have just, you know, pulled a fucking Super Troopers and mowed that shit in the back seat. You know? If you if you were there, and you could have advised cocaine's her. not going to kill you. I don't know how much she had, but I mean, she had like a kilo. That's a different story. I don't know what but, constitutes a what constitutes a felony a felony amount. I think in, any in amount. Florida. I, oh, really? I think any amount of cocaine. I am a Florida man, but I do not know felony amounts of drugs. Sorry, guys. <laughs> not Let's that Google Florida. it. Let's <laughs> All right, Ryan's going to Google it. <laughs> oh my god! I love it. How much so, cocaine or, is a felony amount? Oh my gosh. 500 milligrams. The FBI just flagged his phone for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 500 milligrams, so half a gram. That's not very much. That's some awesome half. search history there. Wow. Yeah, that's not half a gram. I mean, I don't know how much cocaine weighs, but like that's a small amount of anything. Like that's Wow. So, yeah, it could have been a very small amount that she could have swallowed and been totally fine. And it was in a plastic baggie. She could have just shit it out later and then proceeded I, to oh, do I it. I didn't think she was going to, like, swallow the whole bag. Like, that's that's kind of gross when you talk about it like that. Swallow it, well, party I mean, later. Yeah. Steve-O <laughs> did it. <laughs> well, just, I don't know if that's a good excuse to do something. Steve-O <laughs> did it. <laughs> Maybe, like, the worst <laughs> excuse ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the weed is nothing. That's nothing. Uh, but at least right. swallow the fucking class, whatever it is, super illegal drug. Yeah, swallow the felony. Take one for the team. You <laughs> swallow you the go felony. To... That that's a yeah. show title right there. Swallow the <laughs> felony with bald man knife and tool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Ryan, the Baker Boys this week. We got talk about what they're doing they just put out a super cool drop actually they put out their last two drops have been freaking awesome so they did a last week we talked about what they're they've been posting about with their round stock bars that they've been selling that dropped we told you guys to be on the lookout for that if you missed it it's your fault you got to have those notifications set on instagram and follow when koi drops these things because he hasn't been doing them like just every saturday he's been doing random ones um, so they had that round bar. They had multiple patterns of round bar in different sizes. They had some crushed W's. They had some other stuff. Really cool mm. twisted bars. Makume. They had Makume round bar. Yeah. I think didn't they only have like one bar of that though? They had a couple. Did they? Okay. Yep. Super cool stuff. Um awesome. You know, obviously it's coming out of Breaker Forge and Tool, so that was super cool. Side note, um, Koi, if you ever need somebody to uh, forge an integral for a display knife when you're doing a round bar drop, you know, I'm here. That's all I'm saying. Uh, anyways, uh, but they also just dropped a 9,000 layer feather pattern. Um, Koi said in the, the drop video that they were doing some production stuff and they knew that people were going to want to get their hands on some of that. So they just dropped that as well. So that is some super high layer um, feather pattern. It looks awesome. Real. It, it was awesome. Yeah. So, and here's the thing, guys. Like, 
and Koi also just unveiled uh, a piece of mosaic that he just put out. Like you guys know Baker Forge and Tool for the copper, for the bronze, for everything else, but like Koi Baker is a master when it comes to coming up with cool, interesting, and different Damascus patterns. Like it's not just this, you know, the Riptide. It's not just the the Copper Mai. It's all these other cool, intricate things. Like he used feather elements in this mosaic bar that he put out. And he like tiled it. And I mean, don't get me wrong <laughs> when it comes to tiling feather, it's like, I love that shit. Like that's, that's my jam. So, uh, definitely go check out Baker Forge and tool, get your notifications set on their page so you know, when things drop and, uh, keep using that code hustle 10. I get the DMS. I appreciate you guys using that code. Uh, it lets those guys know that you're listening and that we are providing value to you guys. Um, cause that's what we want to do. We want to provide value to our listeners, not just entertainment. And uh, so we appreciate you guys. Use that code Hustle Ten, get yourself ten percent off of those orders, and be sure you make sure you see those drops when they happen because they go fast. And here's some value for you: if you're a stock removal guy like me or like Brent, and you see these round bar stocks that Koi dropped, and you think to yourself, "What the fuck am I going to do with that?" All you got to do when you order one up, put in the notes of the order the thickness you want and they will squish it into a bar for you. Mm, that's a good tip. Even the, even the round stock, they'll do that. Yeah. I asked him. No, that's super cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they do offer rolling mill services. Uh, I don't know if they offer it on everything, but I did not know that they offered it on the round bar. That is mm-hmm. freaking cool. Mm-hmm. That is a hot tip for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Look at you, Ryan. You. Bring in the knowledge. Yeah. I was looking at the Makume and I was like, what the fuck do I need a bar of Makume for? All I would want is coins so I can use them as like bolster caps on hidden tanks. And uh, I was like, you got any cutoffs of that? And he's like, no, but if you put in an order and you just tell them to flatten it, they'll run it through the rolling mill to whatever dimension you want. Nice. I mean, the width, the width, you get what you get, but the thickness they can set. Right. Um, Is that something that you, do they have like an extra rolling mill fee or anything like that? Do you know? No, we didn't get that deep into it. He said just put it in the order notes, so I assume maybe not. Gotcha. If I'm wrong on that and he does charge you a fee, suck it up. That's right. Suck it up, buttercup. Cost cost of doing business. (laughs) You want the best of the best or you want some packy shit? (laughs) I'll tell you, man, the stuff they put out there is crazy. Koi sends updates every once in a while and you see what he's got working on what he's mm-hmm. working on like that feather feather damascus man the mosaic feather was incredible i have a big bar of uh nickel shim raindrop and i just can't decide what to make out of it i put a poll online and nobody voted so i don't know what to do that's that's it's- my hardest thing with getting stale from him is i i don't know like I want to use it to make what I normally make, which I've done, but I'm always torn. And, you know, I get thick stock, so it's got to be quarter inch thick on the thickers, which is, that's a chunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he puts them up there. For sure. He does. He's yeah. he. They do a great job of having a wide variety of dimensions. Yeah. But like that bar that I've got, I just can't decide. Like I was thinking one humongous, it's 14 and a half inches long. So I could do a humongous chef knife, or I could do two medium chef knives, or I could do a regular chef knife and a petty combo. 
matching set. I don't know. All the options. What, the petty combo? Yeah. Yeah, do a set. Go, man. Mm. (laughs) That's probably what I'll do. Things to think about. So, bald man, we got Blade Show coming up this year. You got you're talking about doing some prototyping and stuff like that. What sort of prototypes are you doing? Are we doing more EDC stuff? I know I've seen you make some big yeah. choppers. What's what's the next year of Bald Man look like? Yeah, I'm uh, you know, I'm still I'm an EDC guy, so I'm into the EDC knives. So I've got a, a couple of little knives that I'm I'm working on. Uh, one of them that I'm getting ready to to go into production with. So hopefully before Blade Show I'll have that. Um, it's just a little, little, uh, making it like a fifth pocket knife. So like fifth pocket of your jeans, little fixed blade you can drop Ooh. in there. <clears throat> so a little, it's going to be, then. it's going to be real little. Um, yeah, I've got the prototype and I know not everybody can see it, but that guy, uh, well, yeah. just a cute little guy, uh, a little different from what I normally make for sure. Um, but something I've been wanting to make for a while and yeah, so I think I'm going to do those. And I got some few other things coming. Um, one of the things I haven't told anybody else about, so you guys are hearing it first, is uh, my mini albatross. I'm going to be doing a run of those in quarter inch thick, so they're going to be the thick atross. The thick atross. The thick atross. That's right. <laughs> I love it. You heard it. Here I first. love it. Yeah, I, the um, thick atross is coming. <laughs> it's coming. I figured. I'm I'm gonna just go head first into this and uh, yeah I actually had a customer that wanted to make a order a custom one and I'm like yeah don't make those and then like that week went on and I'm like it's actually a pretty good idea <laughs> <laughs> is that the is that the name you come up with the thickatross you could yeah. call it the Lizzo yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna stick with the thickatross. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> at least that's the working name it rolls off the tongue yeah that's so, probably best uh, yeah, Ryan's was good but I, I like yours better <laughs> yeah so I got that and um, working on I don't think I'll have it ready by blade but we'll see um, I want to do kind of a not, it's going to be a little thicker than a machete, but you know, you mentioned the choppers that I've made in the past. Uh, those have always been like quarter inch thick, um, just massive chunks of steel. So I've been working on doing a, a kind of a production machete kind of bush knife, uh, probably around, around the 18 inch overall length. Um, um, either six, either 16th or 332nd. So it'll be thin, you know, kind of lighter weight like a machete, but it'll have a pretty simple, like a Scandi grind on it. Um, just a hard use deal that, that I think is going to be pretty cool, but I don't know if I'll have those ready for blade show, but keep an eye out. Like a bolo. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I have a knife that I, it's a production knife that I bought that I love when I, I take it whenever I go camping and, it's in that vein where it's a it's a thicker than a machete blade, but so I can use it to split wood and I can baton with it, but also it, it gets through some some thinner stuff. You can kind of use it like a machete. So 
I think I'm probably going to make something not, like that. Just don't know when it's going to happen. Gotcha. That sounds fun. So not like a bolo. My bad. I, I missed. I missed the the chopping through wood part there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll be it'll be thicker, a uh, little bit thicker than machete. Thinner than yeah. It's kind of. I'm still playing out playing with the details, but nice. Yeah, nice. definitely the thick atros is coming. I already have those those water jet blanks on order, so those should Hell be yeah. arriving pretty soon, and uh, that'll be exciting. What do you find the lead time usually is on water jet? Man, it depends. Um, the last order I placed was like 80 knives, and that was like two weeks. And I just placed another order. I say just. I placed another order two or three weeks ago for 80 more knives, and I'm still waiting to hear back on you know when they're going to be done with those. So... Yeah, it depends. When they get busy, like before Blade Show, which we're starting to creep into Blade Show prep for everybody, um, lead times definitely extend. I mean, I, I placed an order last year that I think took like a month and a half to get. Hmm, gotcha. Definitely planning ahead on that sort of thing then. Yeah, so I'm just trying to plan ahead for Blade Show. I want to bring a big chunk of knives um, to Blade Show this year. I brought definitely want to bring more than I brought last year. Uh, last year was a good year, and want to make this year an even better one. Yeah, water jet—that's a big—that's a big toss-up for me on my production work because of my deadlines. So I don't right. know when the orders are going to come. You know what I mean? And then once they come, I've got four weeks realistically. So if I have to wait two weeks for the blanks, you know, and I don't know how many they're going to order. So if I have a shitload on hand, and then all of a sudden the orders drop or they drop me, I'm stuck with all these knives that all look the same and aren't really. But you have like the same model that they order, right? Yeah. Both restaurants, they each order their own design. I'd say you should order a, you should order water jet. I mean, I would say, yeah, get them water jet out or you've, I know you've got a plasma table. It's just not set up, right? I don't have a table. I've got a plasma cutter. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it water jet again for production. That's a game changer. Um, I, I had a hard time whenever I first got water jet blanks. Cause again, you feel like it's not a handmade part, but who cares? It's every one is exactly the same. And who cares You're if taking you spend, out, who yeah, cares if you there's spend no skill involved in, in cutting them out with an angle grinder. That's exactly what I came down to. I'm like, there's two reasons to get water jet. One is nobody cares if you sat there at your porta band and your grinder and shaped every one of them. Cause they're not going to be exactly the same. They're going to be 16th, eighth of an inch, whatever. There's going to be variation. And the second thing is, it's not that expensive to have done. It's it saves you so much time for the stuff that doesn't matter that it's totally worth it. This last batch really got me leaning more towards doing water jet because I mean just cutting out the 70 eighth inch ABL. What did I I was like 21 or 23 cutting discs. Yeah. And my shop stunk for two fucking days. Right. The amount of abrasives that you blow through just to do that, the amount of portaband blades, you know, again, I'm when I do magna cut, that stuff is no joke, even when it's not heat treated yet, when it's not hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 
water jet. That's the way to go. Do it. I'd say jump on that before they make another order. Order yourself up, you know, a hundred water jet blinks and you'll be, you'll be thanking yourself. I'm, here's I've an got, idea. I've here's, got here's, steel here's, left over, but here, here's, wow. here's my question. Uh, you're, I mean, obviously this is a matter of your relationship with your customers. What if there was a situation where you could have a conversation with one of these restaurants or both of the restaurants and say, Hey, I need to make this investment in order to be able to meet your guys' deadlines. So in order to be able to produce for you guys, this is what I need to do. Are you willing to put a deposit down with me for your future orders of, you know, X amount so that I can have this stock on hand? Because if I can't have this on hand, I potentially can't meet your guys' deadlines. I can't, I, you know, and whatever it is, you can say, Hey, I have a day job that I have to keep up with, you know, whatever, whatever that conversation looks like where they essentially have you on retainer, you know, where you are prepared to make knives, you have a stock of their design, you know, whether it's a stock of 50 or whether it's a stock of 20 or something like that on hand at all times, but they have you on retainer for those knives. Like, Hey, we're, we're going to order these from you. Here's a retainer to make sure that we can get those when the time comes. That's a valid thought. My first worry with that would be that uh, giving them any amount of doubt that I can't meet a deadline will take away their confidence in me. Mm -hmm. I've never, I've never missed a deadline. It's all, it's all convenience on my end. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because like, so like I had a conversation with somebody on this batch because they wanted to plasma cut them for me. And they're like, you can ship them to me. It'll be here by this day and I'll cut them and I'll ship them back to you. And it'll be there by this day. And my response was, why would I do that when I could just have them all cut and profiled today? And it's just all it is, is my own time. Um, So I think going forward, I'm probably going to order up blanks ahead of time rather than keep sheets on hand. Um, yeah. I have a question. But, but, so these these knives that you do for for these restaurants are they? Do you have a deal with them where you can only sell that knife to them, or are these like you can sell them on your own? It's a it's an unspoken deal, but it's their design. It's not my design. Okay. My name doesn't. I don't put my logo on them. Well, that's what I was I wondering put, because if it's something that you could do, if they break contract and decide they're not going to order from you more. Could you just brand those as yours? If you had, let's say you ordered 200 water jet blanks and then around the time they would normally place another order, you reach out and say, Hey, you know, just checking in, you guys ready to order more? And they say, yeah, we went a different direction. We're not going to do that anymore. Would you be able to make those and sell them yourself? I mean, realistically, yeah, there's no, there's there's no no contracts. There's no, they don't have like any sort of copyright on the designs. You know what I mean? So Um, if they break, if they break the deal, there's no loss. If you've got 200 blades, you can just make them sell them. Yeah. You'd be able to sell them. Especially the cleavers. People love mini cleavers. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of people ask me for those like on the side and I, and I always say no because it's like, it's not worth it for me to risk my relationship with them. Sure. To to yeah. sell somebody a cleaver. Yeah, and their mark their markup is huge. 
Yeah, they sell them for a lot more than I sell them to them for. So it's it you know it's they might see it as undercutting. Yeah, yeah, and right. I it's not worth it for me to risk it. Right, um, but if yeah. the concern is if they stop ordering from you, you're stuck with them. Well, you're not if you can sell them. That's a, I I I feel like the only way that would happen is if another maker undercut me because these restaurants have such a huge investment in this at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just going to, mm-hmm. why would they stop? How, uh, if they know they stop? can count on you. They know what they're going to get from you. That's the whole relationship deal. But, right. Yeah, and man. it is, like we said earlier, it's hard to find makers like us that are capable and willing to do it. Oh, for sure. Cause I, I wouldn't do it. And I know most of the listeners are probably thinking they're on my side as well. So oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Fact- 100%. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just me and Brent are psychos. We're exceptional. But, no, you just, you, no, it's just you dif- You have different business models like we talked about at the top of the show. But you I do different both. business models. I, I do the, yeah. the Damascus one-offs and stuff like that. It's just hashtag she can do both. Like it's just, you know, here's Todd's yeah, knife. Like I thought it was hilarious that Todd won that raffle after you had just shipped him wine. <laughs> I know that day, the day I did the drawing, I had just got oh back from the gosh. post office like a few hours earlier. And I was like, Oh, well, lucky Whoops. you, Todd. At least I know it's going to get used. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ryan, we got one more sponsor. We got to fit in. And then I think it might be almost time to head to an after show after that. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle and Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. I want to clarify that earlier in the show, when I told people to fuck themselves, <laughs> what I meant was stop trying. We uh, b- human beings has a, have a bad habit of trying to impose what they think on other people and tell other people what they should do because that's what they do. And I hate it. And it's a pet peeve of mine. And I think we should all just do what we want to do. I'm doing these production runs and I'm doing one-offs when I feel like it. It's, you know, it's to each their own. Noah doesn't want to do any production runs, but Noah's brain works that way where it's a, a singular focus. I'm focused on this one knife. Oh, speaking of that knife you made, how'd you like that handle material that, uh, your guy got your guy made your guy being this guy. I wanted to talk about abrasives, so you're going to have to remind me to come back to abrasives because I had a, an abrasive question for you guys based on the, the Phoenix How did the abrasives work on the steel and the handle material? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're gonna we're just going to talk about abrasives then. Um, so when I was Ouch. grinding this knife, I I got I was had a worn 36, and I'm like, fuck this belt. And so I threw it, and I grabbed one of the, the incinerator belts off the wall. And I threw that incinerator belt on there. It was a slightly used incinerator and I threw it on the machine and it just ground so freaking well. Like, and it wasn't even just like that. It was grinding better than like the worn out 36 that I had on there before, but it was just like the, the cleanness with which it sheared metal off the blade was satisfying to me. 
I am so freaking torn because the incinerators are like almost double the cost of a regular they're 16 ceramic bucks a piece. They're so they're basically double of mm-hmm. like the red Ferrari VSMs that we use most those of the time. Are, yeah, those are eight a piece. Is the the incinerator or the actor rocks or whatever you want to call it, is it worth it? Yeah. What do you guys think? Oh, 100%. Um, so I have, well, it's dead now, but an Actorox belt that I just put through its paces. So I ground an Apex Ultra Diamond Grind Gaiudo with this one singular Actorox belt from 0.20 stock. And then I used it to take all the stainless pins down on this batch of 70, this one belt. Stainless pins, if you've ever worked with stainless pins, they're really hard. It's kind of a bitch. And it's kind of hard on abrasives when you're taking them off. And it's hard not to overheat them as well. And yeah, and I got all the way through all 79s and did that big ass chef knife with this one belt. And then I threw it in the wood stove. Because I wanted to see how a, a belt burns. I smoke a lot of pot sometimes when I'm out here and I come up with these <laughs> ideas and I was like, my wood stove was kind of slacking and I was like, oh, I got to throw a, something in there to like mix with the wood and like get it going. So I just, I, I ripped at the seams and I coiled it up and I threw it in the wood stove. They melt. They don't like, they just kind of like hmm. disintegrate into nothing. Not a good fuel source. Well, now we know Not, that, but as far as an abrasive recommend. belt, as far as an abrasive belt goes, it's pretty amazing, right? They're pretty fucking phenomenal. They're yeah, really those, phenomenal. Those are those are my go-to for my first step in grinding. The like you said, the incinerator or whatever it goes by, <clears throat> the Actorox, whatever it yeah. is. Those the blue Actorox. belts working. I I mean, I can't remember the last time I've ground anything but Magna Cut, and especially like heat treated. You know, even the three thirty seconds heat treated to 64 HRC on Magna Cut. Man, they will blow through abrasives, and those belts are a lifesaver. I want to try the new yellow Norton ones. It's supposed to be an equivalent. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I need to pretty tr- cool. I need, I need to try those, yeah. Um, Dennis um, had a pretty impressive demo that he did with those. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the red... Ferrari VSM belts are phenomenal. And I use those for cleaning up my billets in between forge welds because there's a lot of forge scale. They all have to get cleaned up and I use it for things like that or cleaning up other things or profiling or whatever else. But I'm, my thought process is that when it comes to grinding bevels, it's really hard to find something better than those actor rocks or the, the incinerators so I think I'm just going to try and keep a couple of those on hand along with the red Ferraris. I'll keep using the red Ferraris for, you know, the thing, like I said, but when it comes to grinding bevels, those things I think are the absolute best you can possibly get. Yeah. I and agree. the abrasive is so thick that you can clean them up several times and they still cut and they still cut before they're worn out. Yep. So as far as the abrasives go on that knife, I use the Actorox a lot. Um, I like to forge my blades thicker than a lot of other makers. Um, and part of that is uh, my own self-doubt when it comes to warping and and uh, not forging perfectly flat. I'll get some divots or some spots where the forge marks go in too thick. 
um, because I'm impatient and I don't take time to planish my blades as well as I should. Um, so I forge them a little bit thicker and then I grind them, grind them thinner. And some of that is trying to keep the pattern so that where you're, you're grinding through the pattern, because otherwise you're just, if, if you forge in your bevels too far, if you've got like a layered pattern, you're not going to, this is something Dennis talked about on their podcast just the other day. If, if you have a layered pattern, you forge in your bevels all the way, and then you grind it off, you don't see any of the pattern. You have to grind through the layers in order to get that pattern. So you're still using a belt that you need a high performance out of to get that bevel in there. So it's important. So anyways, aside from that, um, the handle material that I used was a block of green, I believe, silver maple that yep. was stabilized by Ryan Coakley. This guy. And the one thing that I I was really impressed with Ryan's blocks when I first got them, just due to the weight and the way that they felt. You can tell a lot about a stabilized block just by holding it and smelling it. And um, I was still doubtful in my mind. Just I didn't even realize it, but I was. Um, about how it would be to polish because when I took the blocks and I tried to polish the sides that Ryan hadn't polished, they didn't polish very well. <coughs> Excuse me. So I was like, ah, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to trust Ryan on this one. I'm going to put this block on this handle. It was as easy or easier to sand and polish than the KNG blocks that I always use. Up to this point, I've been a KNG snob. I don't use, I early on in my making, I tried some stuff that wasn't properly stabilized. And since then, I've just only used KNG because I could trust it. But Ryan convinced me and holding the blocks that he sent me to try and convince me, it did. Um, so I use this block. Not only is it beautiful, and I love the way that it stabilized with some of the grains that didn't take the dye, contrasting with the grains that did take the dye. It polished up. I mean, it, it finished just as easy, if probably easier than any block that I've ever gotten from KNG. And it was a dream to work with. And it like I I had that handle shaped and done in probably about 20 minutes, I would say. And that includes time to hand sand. If I'm if I'm just talking about because I hand sand the bolster and the block at the same time. So if I'm talking about just the time spent hand sanding the handle, it was nothing. So I I, I hand on the machine I, I ground 36 to shape it. I did 120 to do the transfer between the bevels and the block. And then I did 400 on the machine and then I sanded it up to 600 hand sanding and then I buffed it and it was flawless just like that. So thanks buddy. I'm, I'm convinced um, there, if there was one criticism that I had of Ryan's wood is that some of the, some of the colors aren't as vibrant as you can get from K and G. Um, some of them are a little bit. Um, I'm working on that. I know, I know you are. I know you are. Um, but, but the figuring that you have on a lot of your wood that you've just gotten locally is still phenomenal. I love the figuring on that block. It looks mm. so damn good. It was hard to capture the amount of chatoyance that it had because it had a lot of it. And I love the way that it looked. Um, and the guys that are into burl, you've got a shit ton of burl. I know I'm not a huge fan of burl, but I'm going to try it. I got a couple blocks of burl from you that I'm going to put on some integrals eventually. And I'm confident in it. So I'm confident that I can sell that to a customer and be a hundred percent sure that it's going to be a good handle. I appreciate uh, that. That's been the biggest obstacle in selling my handle material 
is that there's so much, which there should be, distrust in the community with a small guy stabilizing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that I've had since I started. Ever since I got one shitty stabilized set of scales, I've never wanted to buy from a, a small guy who does his own stabilizing ever again. Mm-hmm. And so. I keep it. And if some I'm really bad at pricing shit because I'm cheap. So I assume everybody else is cheap. So the best way is if you're <laughs> if you're going to say, like, I've got 200 bucks to spend on blocks, reach out and be like, Ryan, I have 200 bucks to spend on blocks. And I'll do up a box that I think is worth 200 bucks. And I guarantee you, you will come out better that way than if I said $35 a block or whatever it is. The burls are a little bit more because they're big blocks. You can get like three handles out of one block. Yeah. If you're somebody that does wah handles, you definitely need to get some of Ryan's stuff because you can get two handles out of one of my blocks. Easy. Or four, depending on the block. Yeah. (laughs) I do big blocks. And yeah, uh, that's, that's been the biggest part is gaining people's trust um so if you do want some handle material reach out tell me what colors you want how much you want to spend and you won't be disappointed um yeah doing those stabilized stabilized woods man that's that's a big deal um i don't do much with wood i used to do uh used to use some woods and i like uh noah said i had some bad experiences and especially you know i'm down here in a super humid warm environment so if i have anybody order something anywhere that's not local the amount of like warping and popping that i had on those you know when i was early in a knife making and i did some woods i would you know it just didn't work out well and and I had bought some blocks from at Blade Show from some notable, you know, resellers or sellers or makers. And I had issues like I have some blocks here that I can't do anything with because I got them here and they're all goofy and I don't I don't really want to use them. I'll send you some blocks and then you put them through the Florida humidity torture test and oh, tell me how they hold idea. up. Send me a block. I'll that's try it. Yeah. All right. Maybe we'll, we'll see do that. You. Maybe we'll, uh, I'll get it done and get it to you at Blade Show. Yeah. Um, and for everybody listening who's thinking of buying blocks for me, when these blocks arrive, they're big. They're not going to be square. Sorry. That's how I keep the prices low. I'm cleaning them up. I'll, they're all cleaned up. They're sprayed on one side, sometimes two sides, but they're not going to be perfectly square. You'll have to square them up. And if they have a problem with it, what can they do, Ryan? They can go fuck themselves. That's or the, right. Or they can pay me ten more dollars, and I'll clean them up. But no, it's, it's not. Man. You know, I mean, <laughs> my my viewpoint on that was we we're cutting them, and we're gonna have to square them up anyways. Yeah. So. And, and here's the whatever. thing: do what I do. You get an angle gauge. It's a little square. It's like two inches by two inches. They're like $35 on Amazon. Oh, hey, guess what? You can actually go to my Amazon store link in my Instagram bio. And it's like $35 for an angle meter. You set it on your work rest, you zero it, you set it on your platen, and you get it at 90 degrees and you flip your machine on. And in about 30 seconds, your block is square. Boom. Done. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I have to do that anyways, even, you know, even from sellers that, you know, that do spend the time to square up their blocks. If I'm going to be fitting up stuff on an integral chef, I mean, those bolster, the bolsters, I mean, it has to be perfect. It has to be perfectly square. So I'm doing that anyways. So might as well. Yeah, that that's my viewpoint on it. And like that goes back to the 
production batches, it keeps the cost down. You're going to have to square it up anyways. Might as well save a few bucks and just have a block that's, you know, a little off. Well, I mean, that, that's what uh, that's what Sharky does on, you know, the, the mono, mono scales and the blocks that he sells on his website. He's able to keep the cost down by not making it perfectly square and not polishing it up. And that's a great business model because it's it's what a lot of people need. A little bit lower cost, get in there, get some great material and spend a little bit of extra time of their work and it works out. Yeah. So reach out everybody. Message me if you need handle material. I'm pretty confident in my stabilizing ability now. I've been and this last run that I did where I posted a bunch and I sold quite a bit. I sold like 25 blocks, I think, out of that last run. And I've got, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 left ready to go. All different burls, species, whatever, color. And for those guys who are thinking that everything that I just said to Ryan was because he's my buddy, I want you no. to know that I am the biggest asshole to my friends that you've ever met. True. And dad. if I had had any issue, <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Ryan knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. If I had had any issue with that block, it would not be on my knife, and I would have told him about it immediately. And this conversation would not be happening. So, uh, uh, Bremner built. I, I tell the truth. Yeah, I'm. Not, I'm he a does. shitty liar. Yeah. That's why I. <laughs> it was pretty clear I, when you're like, yeah, my one complaint is the, uh, you know, some of the colors didn't pop as much. Like, yeah, you're not pulling punches. You, if you were pulling punches, you'd have just left that between the two of you. So, yeah, you can tell. And that batch that you got compared to, because that was teal, compared to the last teal batch I did was pretty significant. I've been working with Rodney, the sharp carpenter. I pick his brain a lot about how to get brighter colors. And I think where I was going wrong was I just wasn't putting enough dye in. Mm. Yeah, so like sense. my you earlier have to like blacks, overdo it on the dye or yeah, my, my older blacks, they're stabilized all the way through, but they came out like a gray or a greenish tint. And then I just put the rest of the bottle of black in on the one I did after that. And they came out a lot darker. Black's a tricky one though. Yeah. Black's tough. I've heard that. I've Red's, heard that from other, other stabilizers. Yeah. It's weird how certain colors are, are tougher than others. Like blues. I've had blues that came out green in the end. You never know how the wood's going to react. All woods are different. Right. Two maple yeah. blocks from the same burl will come out totally different. Same tree. I know. That's always fascinating to me. They were like Anyways, right next to each other. Those natural gotta, materials. Mm -hmm. We got to get going, guys. We've been at this for um, an hour and a half, and we need to head over to an after show. Leave these people behind. Although we love you. We love you for listening, but we love even more our patrons who are going to get to listen to the after show. If you would like to be a part of that conversation, you can listen to this after show that we're about to record and all past after shows as well by going to patreon.com slash hustle and grind, where for as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron of the hustle and grind podcast. And we love and appreciate all the people who do that. Our newest patron is ball man, knife and tool. Hey, what? get out of here. Yep. I've been that re-upping on my total... Patreon and you guys were, uh, you guys were on the, on the top of the list there. Hell yeah. I've, I've done you. like, I totally it. disregarded Patreon for like, a year or two and now i'm like you know what i gotta support my buddies and uh get some good content out of it so yeah you guys were at Hell the top yeah. of the list you were already booked on the show so the the you becoming <laughs> a patron and you being a guest are totally inconsequential no yeah totally i, I mean but if people do want to start paying us to come on 
I mean, that wouldn't that wouldn't be too there's, bad. There's there's a tear for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you were wondering, Ryan is a whore for money. That's <laughs> what, uh... <laughs> uh, Anyways, guys, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening, Bald Man. Thanks so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for and, having me. Uh, we look forward we look forward to the next year of Bald Man Knife and Tool and seeing what you're coming out with. And uh, it's been a pleasure. So you guys have a great week, and we will catch you next time. Peace out. Bye, everybody. Bye.